This reading comes from Exodus 12, verses 21 to 27, and it's found on page 48. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select animals for your family and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of this house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over the doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. Brothers and sisters, if you can look to page 746 at Luke 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where, where Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on this table. 
The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are, those, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me, one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers." But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, Sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, as he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfilment. The disciple said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. This is the word of the Lord. great if you keep uh, that passage from Luke 22 open in front of you. Uh, we're about to do a slightly unusual thing as you're looking there, as you're grabbing your bit of paper. Um, some helpers are coming forward and they're going to uh, grab some bread and some uh, juice and wine. There's uh, juice, the light coloured stuff on the outside, there's wine on the inside. Uh, I, they're going to bring it around. I'd encourage you to take it. Don't eat it now, don't drink now, hold on to it. Uh, it may be that during the course of us looking at the Bible uh, and when I call upon it at different times you want to choose to join in. It may be you choose not to. Um, I don't mind whether you've taken kind of communion before and remembered uh, the Lord Jesus in that way before or not. Uh, this may be the first time or maybe you've done it before and today you feel like it's not appropriate. Uh, but take it, have it there as an option. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, at the Lord's final supper so it makes sense uh, for us to be doing this today. Uh, very tangibly to hang on to what Jesus has done and remember. Uh, I want to add my welcome as it's coming around. It's great if uh, you're here for the first time or the first time uh, for a little while and have returned from various places. It's great to have you back. Uh, we're picking up a series in uh, Luke's Gospel. Uh, it's a series uh, where we're getting to see Jesus come into take his kingdom. Uh, he comes in not in the way that we expect. Yes, he came in in glory, uh, but uh, after that was despised and shamed. Uh, and so it's not the kingdom we expect, but it's the coronation of the Christ. Uh, just making sure everyone's had a chance to grab some bread and wine and juice.
We've got our props. Most importantly, we have the Word of God, and we have His Spirit as well. Let's pray that God might speak to us clearly this morning. Lord and God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you for the way that it exposes our weaknesses and at the same time points us to the solution and comfort that can be found in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, we thank you that in Jesus, in his blood and righteousness, we can stand right before you. Uh, and Father, we ask now as you speak to us in your word that we would be more and more assured of that and more and more changed to uh, wear those kind of stainless robes that he's prepared for us to live lives that please and honour you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Memory is a powerful tool. Uh, Jesus recognised this and it's why we read in Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, uh, Jesus' command, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah, Memory is powerful and, and Jesus wants us to remember and more than that, he wants us to remember rightly. See, memory has the incredible power to unite. Uh, you know, shared memories bind us together. In a, in a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Anzac Day. Uh, and as we unite as a nation, lest we forget, we, we unite around the memory of sacrifice that forged our freedom. Uh, it draws us together. Yeah, and at a smaller level, uh, yeah, we bond around the, the photo album of that disastrous family holiday together as we flick back over it again. You know, memories are, are powerful. They're, they're powerful because to remember is to relive it. So it turns a past experience into a present reality again. So if you remember something of your past, it's not just recalling how you felt, you're actually feeling it over again. Yeah, memory is so powerful because it, it shapes the present and it shapes the future. Eli Weissel is a Holocaust survivor. Uh, Fifty years after the infamous uh, Kristallnacht, Crystal uh, he addressed the German Reichstag. And he said there, We remember Auschwitz and all it symbolises because we believe that, in spite of past horrors, the world is worthy of salvation. And salvation, like redemption, can be found only in memory. What's he mean by that? What's Weissel saying? He, he believes in the, the saving power of memory by, by remembering even suffered wrongs, uh, both for healing but also so that it never occurs again. Yet remembrance is a powerful tool. As a Christian community, uh, memory is the key to our existence. You know, it, it keeps us alive. Um, our goal when we come and we look at the Word and the Scriptures is not always just to learn new things. It's actually all right to go away from a sermon and go, yep, heard that all before. Because uh, it's not just about, it's about remembering. If it helps you not forget, then that's fine. You know, God's great warning to the Israelites when they entered the Promised Land was not, watch out, the enemies are really dangerous. The warning was in Deuteronomy 8, be careful you don't forget the Lord your God. Forgetfulness is the danger. Uh, Peter writes about the, the false teachers who deliberately forget. On purpose they put it aside. The Apostle Paul can summarise the Gospel this way in 2 Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my Gospel. The Gospel of remembrance. Uh, in Ephesians 2, Paul speaks to believers uh, about the importance of remembering what it was to be outside of Christ, the way they used to be, to be without hope that they might truly appreciate what they now have in Jesus. You know, if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to stay with him, remembrance is vital. But we're not just 
shaped by our memories. We ourselves shape our memories. So we need to beware of remembering wrongly, beware of false memories. Now, I'm, I'm often finding myself sorting arguments between uh, my children, um, and you get different accounts of what happened. And it's not just that they're always lying. It's actually that you know, we are prone to distorting memories. We, we view things differently. If you start digging around in the family feuds that are in your family, we've all got them, uh, you, you, as you dig around, you discover that the versions of you know, what happened are kind of so different, they almost seem like they're different events. There's that distortion of memory. Uh, false memories are possible. Um, the other day, the, the ABC Science Show Catalyst uh, had Professor Elizabeth Loftus demonstrating how she could implant false memories. So in at least 25% of cases, she could make people despise strawberry ice cream. You're going, strawberry ice cream? What's to not to like? Uh, you know, by planting you know, the plausibility that it could have happened in your past, that you were sick after eating an ice cream, to then kind of saying, oh, actually, it came back in one of the things you, you filled out earlier that you did. And, and she plants, and then you can build on that, encouraging a person to, to take that on as their memory. In 25% of cases, uh, it works, and people, you know, they're off their strawberry ice cream. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, but we need to remember rightly. Because people have done it, but sadly not rightly. Some have, have turned this act of remembrance into a re-sacrifice. Or, or an act of remembrance for comfort that actually ignores that it requires repentance. Or an act of remembrance that actually weighs them down further with guilt rather than freeing them. Yeah, this morning... Uh, together, as we look at Luke 22, we are, we are going to remember as Jesus advises, and I hope remember rightly, uh, in three ways. Uh, I want us to remember the spiritual conquest. Spiritual conquest. Uh, secondly, remember the fellowship of the forgiven. And lastly, by remembering the model of service. Uh, the, the first way for us to remember rightly is, is to look at the context of the meal and recall the spiritual conquest or spiritual victory. So leading up to the chapter, the controversy surrounding Jesus has been increasing. Uh, Christ arrived in Jerusalem, he's cleansed the temple, he's shown up the hypocrites, he's declared that the only security you'll ever find is in his words. And Jesus again, uh, sorry, Luke again tells us in verse, 20, verse 2 uh, of this chapter that the chief priests were now looking for a way to kill him. Uh, but even though he was teaching publicly every day, they couldn't act because of his popularity. But the major conflict in Luke 22 is, is not physical, it's spiritual. Satan failed to tempt Jesus at the start of Christ's public ministry. And in Luke 4.13, uh, the devil left and he waited for an opportune time. And now the devil breaks the impasse. 22 verse 3, he enters Judas Iscariot. And Judas becomes the pawn in bringing about Jesus' destruction. So the powers of darkness are mustering. Uh, and in verse 32, the you that Satan wants to sift is not a singular, it's plural. Satan isn't content just with Judas, and it's not just Simon he wants, he wants all of them. Uh, later on in, uh, I suppose, next week's reading, in verse 53, Jesus identifies uh, that, that this hour coming fast is the hour of darkness. You know, spiritual forces are arming themselves against Jesus, but at the same time, Luke wants us to realise there is a divine and greater plan that surrounds this meal. You know, Satan enticed, the chief priests have this unholy desire, uh, Judas chooses to betray, but Jesus, he is calmly in control. 
Verse 7 to 13, there's that kind of strange incident where Jesus kind of organises the meal. It's recorded to show how Jesus is in control of it all. Now, this upper room is ready by a stranger uh, that he just sends the disciples off to go and find exactly as he commands. You know, in verse 22, there's, there's woe on the betrayer, but it is happening there as it was determined by God. You know, Satan wants those disciples, but in verse 32, it's Jesus who's interceded for them. You know, he knows with detail both uh, the, the failure uh, and the restoration of Peter, and he even knows that now is the shift to violent opposition. So he says, you know, get supplies, get your swords. But it's all according to God's, God's promised plan. According to scripture, verse 37, it's all written to be fulfilled. So that the context of the meal, the context of our remembering is spiritual victory. Satan seeks the destruction of Jesus, but it's Christ who's in control. You know, we need to remember, even today, there are forces who oppose Christ and want to win us over but they won't win. I've had a a number of conversations uh, with Christians in the last few weeks about exorcisms and uh, about the powers of demonic attacks and seeing spiritual causes in hardship. Uh, In no way can we underestimate that Satan would like to drag people away from from the Lord Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, nailed it when he wrote uh, the fictional Screwtape Letters. Um, it's, it's the letters of a senior tempter writing to his demonic nephew. Uh, it kind of lifts the veil of uh, the physical away that you can see the spiritual battle going on. Uh, and he points out the very ordinary nature of sin and what Satan's trying to do. Um, as he puts it, why use adultery when golf will do? Uh, to draw people away from God. Yeah? Or as he puts it elsewhere, to admire Satan then, is to give one's vote not only for a world of misery, but also for a world of lies and propaganda, of wishful thinking, of incessant autobiography. And yet the choice is possible. Hardly a day passes without some slight movement toward it in each one of us. Now, yeah, the, the spiritual forces want us to be, to be sifted and found wanting. The devil does want to destroy. He prowls around like a lion seeking to devour, we're told in 1 Peter 5. But the divine plan overcomes any opposition. Now, Satan's a a toothless lion. Uh, As someone said, he he might give you a gumming, but nothing more. Any conversations we might have about uh, the devil or exorcisms or spiritual activity must must never concede any of Christ's power. Uh, Because we're not people who live in fear of those powers. They're not people who play with superstition or luck or try and magically manipulate the circumstances. We're not people who get destroyed by Satan's attempts. Yes, you and I will endure hardships that test us and trials to, to sift us, but, but they don't have the power to overcome. Instead, we remember and we affirm Christ's victory. In control even of his death, that he might put Satan to an end. And Christ calls you and I to remember rightly. That is, remember what's going on in the context of spiritual victory. So I want you to grab your bread. I want you to tear about a third off. And I want you to take a moment and I want you to remember Christ's spiritual victory. And I want you to eat that bread in remembrance of Jesus. And as you chew on it, recall the power of memory 
as it makes the past reality a present experience. I want you to take your cup and we'll take a sip don't drink it all yet and as the sweetness touches your lips know that Satan is overcome remember rightly by remembering that spiritual victory but we remember as well right remembrance is the meal itself it's remembering the fellowship of the forgiven see luke makes clear that that this whole meal is about creating a right relationship out of brokenness now it's all about the prospect of jesus eating freely with sinful people which is great news for sinful people like you and me uh, and, and so to, to remember rightly is, is to see the intimacy of eating and as well the undeserving nature of the guests who get to eat with him. So Jesus in verse 15, he has been eagerly designed to eat this Passover, uh, this, this remembrance of God's deliverance from Egypt. He's eagerly designed to eat it with them, with you. Now in part I think the eagerness is he's, he's ready for the time of fulfilment, but even more I think it's because he deeply cares for them. It's the you, I want to drink it with you. You, know, you notice in verse 20, it's the blood of the covenant for you. In other Gospels, in Mark, he mentions the blood of the covenant for many. In Mark, he emphasises the universal scope of salvation is what we want to recall strongly. In Matthew, when he recalls it, he says, you know, it's for the, do this, the blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. You know, it highlights the purpose and the cleansing nature. But Luke picks up the intimacy. He says, remember it for you. You know, eating meals together is a sign of friendship, isn't it? You know, you might chat to a stranger uh, as you're kind of wandering down the street, but it's your friends you have a meal with. You invite them over and they invite you back and you, and you share a meal together. And Jesus is continually seeking to invite undeserving people to be that intimate with him and to be in friendship with him. Now, this is actually in Luke's Gospel, the fifth of seven meals that are recorded. Uh, and even this meal is looking forward to another meal yet to come, a future orientation. He speaks in verse uh, 16 of the, the feast, the meal to come in the kingdom of God, in verse 17 as well, uh, and again in verse 30. The, the whole language of this meal is about forming relationship. Uh, the word covenant uh, is a relational word. It's, it's, I suppose, most simply a, a friendship with the term spelt out. Yeah? And what Jesus says as he, as he lifts the cup is that his blood is about to be poured out to secure new terms of relationship so that frail and treacherous people can be back in relationship with him and enjoy that future feast. Now, they are undeserving guests. And Jesus knows it. I think that's what's most shocking uh, about it, is that he's sitting there with his betrayer eating with him. In fact, it's not just his betrayer... He knows that every one of his closest friends will deny him within about 12 hours. And in verse 34, Peter is going to do it three times before even dawn. Treachery breaks fellowship. 
Uh, I was um, told this week of a guy who was uh, stealing from people at his workplace. Now, I don't mean he just um, took some extra paper clips home or that he was using postage stamps to do kind of personal mail. Uh, this was you know, genuine theft. He was taking money out of people's uh, bags and wallets. Um, he even stayed with a colleague and things went missing. And now the company was surprisingly gracious to this guy. Uh, colleagues offered forgiveness. Management arranged for him to meet with a professional psychologist. Uh, the prospect of returning to work for this guy actually remains, but not without suspension. Yeah, and, and I get that. You know, because you go, treachery breaks fellowship, doesn't it? It ruins friendship. And yet the very point of this meal Jesus is, is giving as a sign for us to remember is, yes, it was costly for him to make a dinner party like this, you know, suffering in verse 15, it, it's the pouring out of his blood to make traders his intimate dining companions, just like in the Passover that the, the lamb's blood was daubed um, over the doorposts so that you know, the angel of death would pass over, there would be life for those. You know, his blood would be done the same way. His body is going to be given and broken so that fellowship can be made for undeserving traders. Yeah, and that's not just a reality of what was then. It's, it's what the future will be when he gathers all his people together. You know, the traders, people who fail him all the time, people who disown him and disrespect his words like we always do or so often do, uh, can be invited into fellowship. I think I'm too often too, too often tempted to think of, of Jesus you know, surrounded by his people, you know, the kind of picture of heaven, as kind of like a, one of our very polite morning teas. You know, I think I, I, I view it, you know, like it's lots of lovely people having lots of lovely encouraging conversations. But I suspect that the aftermath of Rwandan genocide is a better picture. Let me explain. Uh, uh, unlike um, the aftermath of the Holocaust, uh, the, when the violence in Rwanda uh, finished, the refugees came home. And they had survivors setting up home side by side with perpetrators of violence. They all had to live together again. Uh, Rosario Bankundeya was attacked in 1994. Her husband and her four children uh, were murdered with machetes. She was attacked but remarkably survived. And the man who did it, Severi Nemea, was released in prison in 2004 and he came to her to beg her forgiveness and she considered it. And she granted it, saying, how can I refuse to forgive when I am a forgiven sinner too? Now, since then, uh, this guy Severi has uh, rebuilt a home for her and remarkably they even managed to laugh together. That's unthinkable, isn't it? And yet I think that is the picture of what Jesus has done. You know, here is in that one picture someone who understands exactly what Christ has done and at the same time a glimpse of what the new meal, that heavenly intimacy he's trying to create is. You know, the fellowship of the forgiven. You know, and Jesus wants that level of intimacy with you and I. You know, and, and we misremember this meal if we underestimate how deep our treachery is. And we misremember that meal if we underestimate how great the feasting eternally in Christ will be. You know, we need to hang on to the words of that forgiven slave trader John Newton when he said, I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great saviour. I want you to take another piece of your bread. And I want you to remember. For in memory 
We make that past reality a present experience again, don't we? And so the blood, the body of the Lord Jesus broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed it on your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Again, I want you to take that cup. The blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. Drink and taste that sweetness and look forward to the day when we will have fellowship with Christ and feast with him. Finally, in... More briefly, we remember rightly by recalling uh, the model of the meal, the model of service it sets out. If we want to remember rightly, we remember that attitude of service. So Jesus uh, already highlights that those in fellowship with Jesus use power to serve in verse 8. So uh, Jesus uh, sends out in verse 8 the most prominent of his disciples. Luke even names them. It's Peter and John. Uh, and they get sent off to the most menial task. You know, can you go and run this errand for me? You know, it's what he makes explicit in verse 25 and following. You know, so after Jesus has explained uh, that one of, them, one of these 12 are going to betray him, an argument breaks out about greatness. You, know, you can imagine the progression, can't you? It's kind of, you know, well, it's not going to be me who betrays Jesus. It's probably going to be you. Eh? Me? And, and oh, no, don't you remember the time I did this for Jesus? And who was the one who prepared this meal? It was me. What? You know, and very quickly you can see they've kind of, you know, out of defending their loyalty, escalating to kind of the, the, the claim, oh, no, I'm the best disciple. No, it's me. Um, and they miss the point. Their, their thinking is dominated by power. You, you kind of almost get embarrassed for them, don't you? You know, their Lord and Master and Teacher um, has been talking about suffering and betrayal and the fact that he'll shed his blood. He's talked about how much he's longed to have a meal with them and they're worried about their personal status. It's kind of embarrassing to see just how deep pride is in the human heart, isn't it? That we're just so consumed with ourselves. And yet the whole meal Jesus wants them to recall is about the powerful using their position to serve. Because it's exactly what he does. Verse 27, who is greater? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Isn't it the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You know, to remember rightly, to, to have that friendship with Christ, to remember rightly is, is to identify not just with his death and his resurrection for you, but to identify with his pattern of life. You know, to identify rightly and to remember rightly is to use your power to serve just like he does. You know, when I meet with um, couples to do wedding preparation, one of, the, one of the main questions I want them to think through is how will other people benefit from their marriage? How will other people benefit? Because marriage was designed to be a blessing for society. How will other people benefit? They're taking on a new position of blessing. And my question is how, who else will be benefiting? Who will, be, who will you be serving? Because God's pattern is never to give power or blessing just for an individual's benefit. You know, think about the various gifts God has given you, the, the position he's placed you in, the strengths you've received. Who benefits from them? 
And as you think of it, I hope it's not just you. Uh, someone wrote, the hero in Christ's army is not the man who has rank and title and dignity and chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. It's a man who looks not only to his own things, but also the things of others. It's a man who is kind to all, thoughtful to all, with a hand to help and a heart to feel for all. It is a man who spends and is spent to make the vice and misery of the world less, to bind up the brokenhearted, to befriend the friendless, to cheer the sorrowful, to enlighten the ignorant and raise the poor. This is the truly great man in the eyes of God. It's remembering and serving. And memory is powerful. It is the, the key to Christian life. You know, because we, we take that past experience and we make it a present experience. And as we remember the model of Christ serving, you know, we need to adopt that same attitude. So I want you to grab your last little bit of bread, or whatever you've got left. And as you eat it, remember that true greatness is seen in service. with that cup again whatever sweet drops are left remember how the Lord has served you Before we sing a song that leads us back to the cross, let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. May we always remember him rightly. Guard us from forgetfulness and keep us delighting in what he has done in the past and as we remember it to experience it afresh. Father, help us to be people confident in the victory that Christ has had over all spiritual forces. Help us to be people who uh, delight in the fellowship we have knowing that we're undeserving. And help us to be people who look to the model of Christ and go and serve like he did. Father, help us to remember, we pray. Amen.